three, two, one. All right, we are recording and three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the best podcast in the world. It's lit these days. I'm Jessica. I'm Adam. You you promoted us again. I was listening to an episode a couple episodes back and you said we're the best book podcast in the world. Yeah. And I was disappointed in that because you demoted us. Typically, you say we're the best podcast in the world. Now, we're, we've leveled up since then. Everything, <laughs> it's, it's a new show. It's just 10,000 times better. And I hope that our listeners are ready for it. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> this podcast <laughs> is about books obviously, where we talk about the books that we finished reading, what we're currently reading, and we give you book recommendations. I had a, eh, I had an eh, eh week for reading this week. Let me, Same. Let me tell you, I was so excited to read this book, Out of Love by Hazel Hayes, okay? I started reading it, and I was like, man, this, well, oh wait, hold on, back up. Let me let me tell you what this story is about. So the whole premise of it is that they break up in the beginning and then it goes back to the beginning of their relationship. So it's like a Benjamin Button oh, yeah. situation, yeah. right? Um, I started reading it and I was like, man, this girl is really freaking annoying because it's from <laughs> the girl's perspective after they break up. And she's just like talking about how... He's a terrible human being for breaking up with her after five years and like having sex with all these other girls and after they after they broke up. After, yeah. After they broke up. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So like he's seeing new people. <laughs> he's and, cheating on me. No. No. And then okay, so apparently this guy breaks up with her and then just leaves all of his stuff at their apartment and just leaves <laughs> for a little That's bit. Rude. <laughs> which which would not typically happen, I would not yeah. think. And and so he goes back and he picks up some of his stuff, right? And he conveniently leaves his phone, his old phone that still works and still receives text messages. So this is girl he a drug is, dealer? <laughs> I don't think so. I didn't get that far into it. But, <laughs> oh, sorry. Maybe that's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> but she, uh, she's like reading all these text messages and he's gossiping with his friends about how terrible she was in bed and all of this stuff. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Um, this... Wait a second. So he's gossiping on one phone? Wait. That doesn't he make has, any sense. He has a new phone, right? Oh, that, so, it's like so this a, is previous gossip. It's like an, no, it's like an iPhone situation where if you have an iPhone, you can still receive messages on one phone and then it will also be on your other phone because it's connected to the iCloud, right? It, yeah. It's like when they come through on your MacBook. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like that situation. And this <laughs> happens for about 100 pages, Adam. I'll tell you what. And I was like, this has got to get better because everyone loves this book. It And it yeah. did it for me. So I was like, you know, I gave it a good I gave it a good run and I DNF'd it. So that's where I'm at with, with the finished, what I finished reading this week. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> But that just sounds like oh I'm so I'm kind of excited though because that was an idea that I had for a novel and I could do it so much better. Well, actually I shouldn't say that because I'm not a published author so I no, I shouldn't say that, but like but like maybe I can make it better. 
he could be a drug dealer. He could. Ooh, that's right? his, that's his profession. There's no other reason to have two phones. No. <laughs> Not activate the other one. Also, you wouldn't keep like it's an iPhone. You wouldn't keep the other phone. I'm really stuck on this point. You, you would know, sell that phone back. <laughs> you know, you might. You you could. However, if it's even cracked a little bit, they will not take it. They're like, nope, you got to keep. So I, I have my old iPhone because I cracked the crap out of the mm. screen on accident. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. What did, did, yeah. <laughs> what did no, you I'm finish I'm going to stop because I'm going to keep talking about that point. What did I finish reading? Um, I fell behind on reading again for the first time this year for a few reasons uh everybody in my family got the stomach flu mm. <laughs> this was like three or four weeks after covid um i'd much rather have covid than the stomach flu i feel like you're always sick someone in your family is constantly, always sick. just constantly although i will part of it is there's four of us all of us are in a different school yeah. One's in daycare and then three different public schools. <laughs> also, the public schools, like we've all taken masks off now and now everybody's getting colds. Stomach bug is in like every single one of the schools. Um, and we we thought we dodged it because it would hit one of our kids and then it would skip for a couple days mm-hmm. and be like, oh, we must be in the clear. And then the next person would get it. Um, you live and work in a Petri dish. It's true. It's true. And now everyone is getting sick like it's their first year teaching because it's like their first year teaching so that happened so that was a good two days of laying in bed and just wishing 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 death would come um and then i was finally able to like just kind of sit and relax but at that point i don't want to read um so i started playing fire emblem three houses and i got completely addicted to addicted to fire emblem three houses which to my credit is tremendously text heavy there's so much freaking story in this video game so it's that basically I love it. reading a book it's very much like like reading a book it's the very same much thing. like reading a book yeah yeah oh it's awesome it, it's it's it reads like a novel it's got it's fantasy so it's got Ooh. that appeal you're also a professor um at this hogwarts like institution and you're teaching kids how to fight and use magic it's like it's what's not to love yeah. everything's great Exactly. There's not actually it. much game to it. It's mostly reading. Put it put it on your Goodreads. I, I vibe with it. I should. I should, yeah. And then every once in a while, there's a little strategy RPG that comes into play. <laughs> it's it's great. It's great. Um, I was like, I'll play this for like 20 hours and then I'll be good. And then I didn't realize it's a 50-hour game. So I'll be on mm-hmm. that for a while. So highly recommended if you have a Switch, Fire Emblem, Three Houses. Um, I did, though, get to finish Linked. By Gordon Corman. We've talked about Gordon Corman before. He's a middle-level author. Um, and this one is a little bit of a change of pace. He's typically... His, his stories are all about kids searching for their identities, which is what much middle-level young adult fiction is. But they're presented in a really funny way. I had mentioned the one about the kid who is obsessed with video games so much so that his house almost burns down. And um, he ends up in charge of accidentally in charge of a service club at school. And the other one where the kid's the bully, like the school bully, and he falls off his roof and gets amnesia and then is no longer knows who he is. This one, I'm going to read the description. It's, it's, it's a little more intense, and I think you'll see why. Link, Michael, and Dana live in a quiet town, but it's woken up very quickly when someone sneaks into school and vandalizes it with a swastika. Nobody can believe it. How could such a symbol of hate end up in the middle of their school? Who would do such a thing? 
because Michael was the first person to see it, he's the first suspect. Because Link is one of the most popular guys in school, everyone's looking to him to figure it out. And because Dana's the only Jewish girl in, in town, everyone's treating her more like an outsider than ever. The mystery deepens as more swastikas begin to appear. Some students decide to fight back and start a project to bring people together instead of dividing them further. The closer Link, Michael, and Dana get to the truth, the more there is to face not just the crimes of the present, but the crimes of the past. Hmm. It's a little more intense than the other books. Yeah. It was great. Um, I say that with one caveat. The ending was very over the top and unrealistic. Okay. Um, I mean, it's very much trying for a positive ending, which I get you need for this kind of book. Um, but it was just kind of like, no, this, this, this wouldn't have the kind of bow on it that it would in in real life especially because social media is such a driving force in the narrative there's this youtuber um named real talk and like he is like t-o-k like in tiktok (laughs) um and he like descends upon the town and he's this really bombastic like political guy who's trying to dig up all this stuff about oh it's this it's this racist town and they had this like um like the kkk came in and raided this one night in the past um which brings up an interesting narrative to the town in that the town kind of splits and I'm just keep in mind this is middle level but the town kind of splits on like it's very obvious that like the kkk was in the town and had a major hand in the town at, at one point in time and about half the town is like yeah it, this happened it's terrible and the other half of the town is like nope everything's fine how dare you suggest that sound familiar it's interesting mm-hmm. because like he takes he takes the politics that we have now and presents them in a way that doesn't feel i'm sure somebody will be offended by this if they read it but people are offended by everything uh, he presents it in a way that doesn't i feel like you'd be hard pressed whether on either side of the political spectrum to be offended by how this is presented to um children mm-hmm. it's done very very well i think nice nice and okay well here's a question i think you said the main character, Link, he is the one who everyone's looking to figure this out because he's popular? Yeah, so there's a little bit more to it than that. That's um, He's popular, but he's also like the prankster okay. of the town. Um, so they, they kind of put their eye on him because of that. Um, he also, in the course of this, though, finds out that he very early on. So this is not a spoiler. Um, finds out that his um, he's Jewish on his mother's side, mm-hmm. about a quarter Jewish. Um, and because these swastikas keep popping up, and he starts to learn the story of his grandmother. His grandmother was was a baby, um, and her entire family died during the Holocaust. Um, it really like hits home with him. Uh, and, and he becomes friends with the Jewish girl who's, who's only temporarily in town. Like the town is, is, um, is also descended upon by these scientists who are digging up dinosaur bones. Um, and she's, she's the daughter of one of the the scientists. So she's there temporarily. So she's already kind of like, oh, those are the nerds, but she's also Jewish. And now these swastikas are coming up. So she feels more ostracized, but he ends up becoming kind of friends with her and she talks about like hey like even if you're just a little jewish like that's considered 
like you're Jewish, like you're, you're one of us. So he decides like, okay, I want to, I want to explore this. Like I want to have a bar mitzvah. I want to do all of these things too. Not because I, I necessarily think I'm going to become this religious person, but I feel like I need to honor my family that was not able to exist because mm. of the Holocaust. Nice. I'm, I'm oh, and always... I should say, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I should say the framing device too was the, are you familiar with that? Um, the paperclip project? The where she where someone trades a paper clip up to get a house is that what we're talking about? No, I want to know more about that. Okay. But <laughs> there's this there's a town in Tennessee that collected um, six million no eleven million paper clips um, to symbolize everybody who died during the Holocaust, oh. Jewish and non-Jewish. Um, so they are creating paper links in this story. They're inspired by that one. And they're creating 6 million um, paper links to represent the, the Jewish population that died in the Holocaust. Wow. I never knew about that. And I'm also just always blown away by how deep middle level and young adult fiction is getting. Like that never would have happened back in my day. But yeah, that sounds like an awesome book. And also... I want to tell you about the paperclip, paperclip thing because it's yes. kind of cool. Segue. Okay. <laughs> so um, <laughs> um, there was this, I believe it happened, I believe the first one happened like a decade or so ago. And now there's another woman who's doing it on TikTok where this person started with a paperclip and their their goal was to trade it for a house. And how they did it was they traded like the paperclip for a pen. The pen for like a pair of earrings, pair of earrings for something more expensive until you got a house. And there's someone doing that on TikTok right now. And I think that she's pretty close to her goal. So anyway, that's okay. what that is. That's what I thought of. But <laughs> yours was way more deep than mine was. Everything's fake on TikTok. She's just, she's just playing it up. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> My wife sends me TikToks all day long and I do not have TikTok. So I just have to open them TikTok. in a web browser and watch them yeah I, every once in a while i i had one at one point and then was like i'm wasting way too much time on this but hey there's there are some funny ones on there see okay i also understand that i waste a lot of time on my phone and i at one point did a whole cleanse of where i just got rid of all my social media and my snapchat and good, then good, good. i became a marketer and <laughs> you can't do that when you're a marketer. So here I am on my phone, yep. addicted to it, um, and we just yep. have to live with it. I've been able to avoid the social media side of things in my in my current tech position. Well, I good. put a book on my desk that it's the. Um, I should talk about this book sometime. I might reread it soon. It's 10, 10 arguments for deleting your social media accounts right now. I just put that on my desk. So whenever <laughs> people come in, they, they can see that there. It's a conversation piece. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's that. written by a guy who was like one of the Silicon Valley people that had a hand in creating social media in the first place. See, there there is a Netflix special, and I'm sure you've heard about it, but it came out like, I don't know, a year or two ago, of exposing Facebook and all of the bad things they do. My dad was like, Jessica, you should really watch it. And I was like, I know that as a marketer, I need to be using Facebook. So I'd rather just live in ignorance than know, <laughs> yeah. than know about it. So I never watched it. Also, is it ignorance? Like, I feel, I feel like it's just like, you just have to look at the direction of Facebook and you're like, ah, Nazis. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Okay. Let's Good talk times. about what we are currently reading my Yay. 
currently reading is coming out of a um, quarter-life crisis that I'm having at the ripe age of 24 years old. I'm oh, reading... wait till 25. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it gets worse. <laughs> okay, so no, I'm reading... Mine hit when I was 25. <laughs> I'm reading... So you're probably good. Solve for Happy by Mo Gaudat. And he is the former chief business officer of Google. And this was actually on my boyfriend's bookshelf. And I saw it and I was like, ooh, that sounds perfect for me. I actually wanted to read a part of it, um, but I'll kind of explain what it's about first. So this guy, he's a very smart dude, right? He was the former chief business officer of Google. That's pretty badass, I think. And he was in charge of very big things in his uh, professional life. And he was making a lot of money. He was intellectually stimulated at work. He got a lot of uh, purpose and drive out of his job. However, he started to lose sight of what was actually important. And he was saying that in the foreword, he was saying that like he didn't enjoy being at home and didn't enjoy his wife and his kids. Like he really felt like he should have at the time. And so he, after the death of one of his kids, he started to be on a journey to figure out happiness. And apparently, apparently, according to the back of this book, he has found an algorithm for happiness. Do I believe that yet? I don't know. I'm not that far into it. I did want to read a section this of it. This guy definitely worked at Google, though. I can tell. <laughs> um... Okay. As you were saying, he's a very smart guy. I, I don't know why I just pictured you like reading his author bio in the back and says, is a very smart guy. <laughs> very intelligent. <laughs> so, the more money I made, the more miserable I became, which led me to simply work harder and buy more toys on the misguided assumption that sooner or later, all this effort was going to pay off and I'd find the pot of gold, happiness, thought to lie at the end of the high achievement rainbow. I had become a hamster on what psychologists call the hedonic treadmill. The more you hmm. get, the more you want, the more you strive, the more reasons you discover for striving. And I'm like, wow, that's where I'm at right now. Because I'm like, I keep saying to myself, like, once I do this thing or once I get this thing, then I'll be happy. And then I get the thing and I'm like, then I'm not Because I did that a lot when I was in college. I was like, I was burning the midnight oil, burning myself out when I was in college, doing my classes, working a ton and all of this stuff. And I was like, as soon as I, as soon as I graduate, I'll get a job and I'll be happy. And that came around and uh, <laughs> did, did not work out like I wanted it to. So this, as I said, this book is coming out of me having a quarter life crisis and I'm going to figure my life out after I read this book. Hopefully. All right. <laughs> All right. So it's uh, it's amazing. Like they definitely it's a thing. The quarter life crisis is a thing. Yeah. Mine was 25th birthday on the dot. Like I woke up and was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Did, 25 years in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you. sometimes you think that you're going to be in one place and then you're not. And then you're like, oh, God, what is what is happening? And I hope yeah. that I'm not making our listeners have an existential crisis of their <laughs> own right now. 
Do you ever think about what it would be like if when you were dead, you were aware that you were dead? No, okay, we'll stop. <laughs> we can move on to happier topic. What are you currently reading? What? Am, oh, God. Uh, my book's not that pleasant. Let's see here. It's this another middle-level be book. titled The Depressive Episode. <laughs> yeah, it's called... Um, I, I reread the... What was that book? The Existentialist Survival Guide. No, um, it's called Free Lunch. It's by Rex... Ogle, I believe is how the last name is pronounced. Again, I will read the description. Instead of giving him lunch money, Rex's mother had has signed him up for free meals. As a poor kid in a wealthy school district, better off kids crowd impatiently behind him as he tries to explain to the cashier that he's on the free meal program. The lunch lady's hard of hearing, so Rex has to shout. Free lunch is the story of Rex Rex's efforts to navigate his first semester of sixth grade, who to sit with, not being able to join the football team, Halloween in a handmade costume, classmates and a teacher who take one look at him and decide he's trouble, all while wearing secondhand clothes and being hungry. His mom and her boyfriend are out of work, and life at home is punctuated by outbursts of violence. Halfway through the semester, his family is evicted, ends up in government-subsidized housing in view of the school." Rex lingers at the last, at the end of last period every day until the buses have left, so no one will see where he lives. Um, it's intense. It's a short, like middle-level book. It is. I don't think it cracks three hundred pages, um, but it's in. It's intense. It's very intense. Uh, whereas you said, like you would never get away with this when you were younger with linked and i i I feel like linked could work it's very impressive in how it is packaged to work um you can you can tell that the author kept that in mind whereas this one no it's it's intense um the the domestic violence is very real it's very visceral it's not gratuitous but it's visceral um the the language is is in there it's intense it's not as intense as like a ya novel would be um but it's it's still there um, and, and unflinching is, is, is definitely the, the best word to apply to it. Um, it deals unflinchingly with domestic violence. It's interesting in how it's presented because Rex has this instinctual understanding of his mom's flaws, where his mom is very verbally abusive to him. Um, but he has this understanding of like, I know why she is the way that she is. And when she breaks down, like my heart breaks for her but he also presents it in a way of like but this is not an excuse for her behavior like if i the second i have to escape if i were able to escape this situation like bye mom like i'm not i'm never coming back i'm never talking to you again while at the same time like but i know why this is happening i know where this is coming from and then where i currently am um it's it's an interesting study in how poverty can be fetishized because he's starting to be he has a friend group but then his friends are joining the football team and he can't join the football team because it costs money um so he's he ends up sitting by himself at at lunch and he is approached by a group of like the the very religious kids who are essentially like preaching to him Mm -hmm. um and they they take like a solid positive interest in him but that interest is only driven by like this is the poor kid we need to save him like he's he's sitting by himself um so i was really impressed at how like that complexity was was added in there because that's something that can realistically happen to a kid Mm -hmm. what so i i have a question um so you're no longer teaching 
So you're moved into kind of an administrative role. So do you do you read these books and kind of give recommendations to other teachers so that they can pass them on? Or do you still so I work in Go ahead. I work in the library, oh, <laughs> in right, the school right. library, uh, which is awesome. So I work with the librarians. Um, so I'm not my job's not so much administrative as it is like like I have to I have to know teaching very mm-hmm. well, um, and I, and I go into CLTs, which are which are learning groups. Like seventh grade English would be one, sixth grade math would be one. Um, so I have to have an understanding of curriculum, um, and I still enjoy read. I don't enjoy reading young adult, but I still enjoy reading middle level fiction i'm also on the literacy committee so um, i work with with a lot of that gotcha gotcha okay cool well that book sounds very intense um it is (laughs) gosh i'm just always surprised by the themes in these books yeah yeah okay it's a lot it's a lot and when i was when i was a kid (laughs) there's like it was so just squeaky clean (laughs) yeah yeah for me too. I used to read the Saddle Club books and that's pretty much all I read. <laughs> yeah. I read like there was like with Fear Street, there was a certain level of violence. And as a kid, I can remember like, man, that was so, there was one where somebody gets stabbed in the neck with a, a screwdriver. Ugh. They do not die. But here's the thing, like as a kid who watched movies he wasn't supposed to watch in my head, I was like, oh, this is very violent. But it was like, hey, you got stabbed in the neck with it. And then he was fine. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! And there's no no language in the rest of the book, like nothing risque, like like. And this was at the very end of the book, so even something like that was like, nah, it's it's very much brushed over. That's I, the worst of it, and that's for like sixteen year olds. <laughs> I would, I I would read about that screwdriver in the neck, and I would just immediately pass out. That would not be for me. <laughs> Which would be hilarious because it's like the end of the book, so you would have gotten <laughs> to the end of the end of the book spoiler for a fear street book that i don't remember the name of that was published in 1993 i think we're good i think we're fine yeah we're probably fine <laughs> we're probably fine awesome okay so that brings us to the end of our uh currently reading so let's go into our book recommendation question that we have for today so we had a question come in that says in an attempt to read more nonfiction, i'm trying reading one fiction and one non-fiction book at the same time. I switch after each chapter. Currently, I'm reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer and The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry. So far, they are pairing beautifully. My next non-fiction books will be This Is Going to Hurt by Adam Kay and The Nordic Theory of Everything by Anu Parin... The Nordic Theory of Everything. A new Partinen. A new Partinen. Which fiction recommendations do you have to pair with these? So, I'll keep going here. I had a very tough time with this one, and I actually it's had a great to, question. But yeah, I had I, I had a tough time too. Yeah, I had to tap one of my friends, and I was like, "Hey, do you have anything for this?" Because I got nothing. And she actually recommended something that would go along with this is going to hurt. And maybe for our, our listeners, I'll talk about a little bit about what this is going to hurt is about first, um, just so that they can understand what the pairing is here. So this is going to hurt is what this person already has on their to be read list. And I'm pulling this from Wikipedia. <laughs> I haven't read this book before. So 
It says, This is Going to Hurt, Secret Diaries of a Junior Doctor is a nonfiction book by the British comedy writer Adam Kay, published in 2017 by Picador. It is a collection of diary entries written by Kay during his medical training from 2004 to 2010. Kay's book discusses political issues in the healthcare system of the National Health Service in the United Kingdom and societal conflicts between the general population and neglected doctors. Kay accomplishes this by incorporating humor into his personal anecdotes that depict his life as he progresses through his medical training and eventual resignation from this career. And my friend said for this book, for, for a fiction pairing, uh, this person should read Joan is Okay, a novel by Wiki Wang. Week Wang? Not sure exactly how you say that. Uh, but I obviously I haven't read this book before, so I'm going to read the description of it. It says, the Chinese... Oh, hold on. Joan is a 30-something ICU doctor at a busy New York City hospital. The daughter of Chinese parents who came to the United States to secure the the American dream for their children, Joan is intensely devoted to her work, happily solitary, successful. She does look up sometimes and wonder where her true roots lie, at the hospital where her white coat makes her feel needed, or with her family who try to shape her life by their own cultural and social expectations. Once Joan and her brother, Fang, were established in their careers, her parents moved back to China, hoping to spend the rest of their lives in their homeland. But when Joan's father suddenly dies and her mother returns to America to reconnect with her children, a series of events sends Joan spiraling out of her comfort zone just as her hospital, her city, and the world are forced to reckon with a health crisis more devastating than anyone could have imagined. Deceptively spare yet quietly powerful, laced with sharp humor, Joan is okay touches on matters that feel deeply resonant being Chinese American right now working in medicine at a high stakes time finding one's voice within a dominant culture being a woman in a male dominated workplace and staying independent within a tight knit community but above all it's a portrait of one remarkable woman so surprising that you can't get her out of your head and my friend said this would be a good comp because it is funny, just like This Is Going to Hurt is supposed to be funny, and also deals with deeper themes like This Is Going to Hurt does as well. So that is why she recommended that one. That sounds like the perfect pairing in a great book. Mm-hmm. I had I love this question, but I also had a hard time. At first, I was like, this will be easy. And then I wrote down like three nonfiction books, and I was like, shoot, that's, <laughs> that that's work. not correct. Um, which, if you're interested... Um, what was the first thing that came to mind? Stiff by Mary Roach, which is a nonfiction book about what happens to cadavers. Um, yeah, sounds gross, is gross. Also a very funny book, but we're looking for fiction. So I'm going to take the uh, the Nordic theory of everything side of things. So let me do a quick summary like you did of uh, the Nordic theory of everything, and then I'll give my recommendation. So it's the Nordic theory of everything in search of a better life by Anu Partinen, a Finnish journalist, now naturalized, now a naturalized American citizen. I need to make, I'm realizing now that I need to make the font bigger on my computer. That's how I feel too. My eyes are so going. I'm stumbling over it. Like, what does that say? A Finnish journalist, now a naturalized American citizen, asks Americans to draw on elements of the Nordic way of life to nurture a fairer, happier, more secure, and less stressful society for themselves 
and their children. Moving to America in 2008, Finnish journalist Anu Partinen quickly went from confident, successful professional to wary, self-doubting mess. She found that navigating the basics of everyday life, from buying a cell phone to filing taxes to education and childcare, was much more complicated and stressful than anything she encountered in her homeland. At first, she attributed her crippling anxiety to the difficulty of adapting to a freewheeling new culture. But as she got to know Americans better, she discovered they shared her deep apprehension. To understand why life is so different in the U.S. and Finland, Partinen began to look closely at both. Uh, this reminded me of a book that I read... Now, this is not my recommendation. This is another nonfiction book, but uh, Bringing Up Bebe, One American Mother Discovers the Wisdom of French Parroting, which is by Pamela Druckerman. Excellent nonfiction book. Very similar in themes. When you said Bebe, but, I immediately went to Schitt's Creek. I don't know if you've seen that show before, but I'm like, I have you, not. Need to, you need to watch it. <laughs> anyway, so one of the main characters, she has this weird accent and she calls babies Bebe's. <laughs> Bebe's. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. Okay, continue. I've heard it. I've heard it's similar to Arrested Development. Have you ever seen Arrested Development? I watched the first couple episodes. I thought it was stupid. So <laughs> oh, it's really, it's really dumb. <laughs> you should stick with it though. It's okay. uh, there's so many good jokes to it. I'll give a, I'll give it another go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my recommendation is what is the what. The Autobiography of Valentino Achek Dang by Dave Eggers. Now, you might be thinking, autobiography is nonfiction. This is a fiction book. Hmm. Um, Valentino Achek Dang is a real person. Um, however, he didn't write it. Dave Eggers wrote it with approval from him, um, but in, in fictional form so that he could fictionalize a lot of things um, and, and really make it a... A, a stunning novel and it's a really good novel um so i'll give you the description first and then i'll give you what i remember because it has been mm, 10 years since i've read this book so what is the what's the epic novel based on the life of valentino a Czech dang who along with thousands of other children the so-called lost boys was forced to leave his village in sudan at the age of seven and trek hundreds of miles by foot pursued by militias government bombers and wild animals crossing the deserts of three countries to find freedom but when he finally is resettled in the united states he finds a life full of promise but also heartache and myriad new challenges moving suspenseful and unexpectedly funny what is the what is an astonishing novel that a illuminates the lives of millions through one extraordinary man. So it seems like it's going to be pretty different from the Nordic theory of everything. And it is. Um, it's split into three parts, which is part one's pre-refugee camp. Part two is refugee camp in Ethiopia before the president is overthrown. Then the president is overthrown. Um, and basically the guns are turned on the refugees and he escapes again to Kenya, and then part three is a refugee camp in Kenya. However, the framing device here is in each section, each section starts with him in the United States. And that first section is he's at home, somebody knocks on the door, he's not expecting anybody, so he answers the door, and he's attacked, he's assaulted, he's robbed, he's held hostage by a 10-year-old. Um, at one point, they, I think they... I have a distinct memory of part of this where I believe they tie him up and they put him on the ground. And I, th I think he like won't stop talking and they drop a dictionary on his head. Oh. And like the narrative is like, the symbolism is not lost on me here. It's like the internal font, which was like, that's, that's, that's a lot of humor in a really bad situation. Yeah. Um, so pre-refugee camp is, is where that 
comes in. He, he, he's telling the 10 year old who's holding him hostage while the other people rob his apartment, um, of his life in that pre when he was a kid. Um, and then part two, he's waiting in the hospital for 14 hours to see somebody. Um, and I think he's, he's telling like a nurse or he's telling somebody else in the waiting area with him about, about his life. So that's the Ethiopia section. And then part three, he's working in a gym and he's telling people about the refugee camp in Kenya. So those themes of adjustment, um, and, and like comfort in being in a new place, but also a lot of anxiety and being in a new place and similarities and differences, um, in experience from where you're coming from, I think shines through. Also, you're trying to get into nonfiction. This one is fiction technically, but it's also an autobiography. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that weird it kind of treads that line. Awesome. That sounds awesome. And I want to read that now also because I it's don't, book. I don't know too much about I know I know it's fiction, but like it's it is kind of nonfiction. I don't know too much about all of that stuff that was going on. So that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I might read that one. I th- I think I I read an interview with Dave Eggers at some point, and he he talked about like we shifted it to fiction so that like. I could write a conversation <laughs> without having to be like, is this exactly, am I capturing the exact, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like taking enough liberties to, to, so as to not feel comfortable saying like, this is nonfiction, mm-hmm. but it really is. Awesome. Cool. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. 